Hey rockers, today's guest is singer, guitarist, producer, and songwriting extraordinaire, Butch Walker. Butch and I jump into the deep end and dissect the 1998 hit single, Freak of the Week, from one of Butch's previous bands, The Marvelous Three. Taken from their 1998 record called Hey Album, Freak of the Week rose to number five on the modern rock radio charts and solidified Butch as a songwriting force to be reckoned with. From there, he cultivated a successful solo career and shot to superstardom writing songs for some of the biggest names in pop music. Butch and I talk about musical imperfections within a song and how those beautiful mistakes can really add an authentic human emotion to a track. We talk about a number of his musical influences and how each and every one of them bled into this particular song. And I recall the story to Butch, how he completely earned my respect and admiration as a songwriter when we sat down together to pen a song some years ago. For all this and much more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. I'm in Tennessee. We pretty much spend most of our time back in back in the South now. Um, I'm like three hours from where I grew up. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice, you know, to be back there. But I'm also in proximity. I'm super close to. I'm right outside Nashville, which a lot of my friends live here, or uh, much to the locals' dismay, a lot of them are moving here. Uh, so um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm part of the problem. But yeah, it's um. It's great. You know, I'm still going back and forth to California a lot because our, our kids in school there still. And uh, that's tricky, you know, to, to make oh, a transition. Sure. Sure. Uh, but it's good. And, you know, we kind of up, uplifted our, our roots out there that we had for 13 years that took me out there for work, you know, mostly years ago. And um, realized after I could pretty much make records anywhere. And I've got a little studio that's pretty awesome out west that I just lock up and leave it. And when I come back, I can make records there. And, you know, as long as, as long as I can afford that, I'm going to do it <laughs> until I can't afford it. Right on. Well, I'd like to give the listeners a, a, a little history here with Butch. I've been following your career since 1990. Butch played in a band out of Atlanta called South Gang, which uh, the record was produced by Howard Benson, who, as a lot of my listeners know, ended up working with Less Than Jake on a couple records. So the, the history kind of runs deep here. I loved South Gang. I think the song Tain and Angel is absolutely amazing. Then the crazy thing is, uh, South Gang uh, breaks up, and Butch, Jace Fincher, the bass player, and Doug Mitchell, the, the, the drummer of South Gang, go on to for- form Floyd's Funk Revival, which morphed into just the Floyds. Like a snow I saw the Floyds at the Covered Dish and the Florida Theater in Gainesville. Wow. I didn't know you were in the band. This is pre-internet. I didn't know it was you guys. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea this was South Gang, now with the Floyds, which is Completely just a... Completely different, yeah. Which is a mind trip. And then from there, you, Jace, 
and Doug went on to form Marvelous 3. And, uh, you know, not blowing smoke uh, up, up your backside here, Butch. I have talked about you more times over the years, especially to younger bands. I've given you as the example about reinvention, okay? Mm. You just kept knocking down doors it is so admirable you know from from well, my Marvel. back hurt so bad <laughs> <laughs> mine too i'm not young anymore um no. but but you went from marvelous three of course uh in 2002 you put out your first solo record left of self-centered and oh four you put out letters uh and you've done a number of records since then and then you got into songwriting with other people okay you've written for sr 71 you uh, co-wrote their, their hit right now uh girl all the bad guys want with bowling for soup you've written for taylor swift avril lavigne and you just keep as i said pushing down doors it is it is so awesome so uh today butch butch wanted to talk about freak of the week which i was living in atlanta in grant park which you had a song on your next record called grant park <laughs> when 90 when 99 x was blowing this song up and the first time i heard it i was like holy hell what is this because the you know late 90s what the climate was there wasn't much rock on the radio and this had an alternative tinge to it but once i found out it was you again pre-internet and i i heard this song a couple of times before i they, they you know if, if the radio announcer didn't announce who the hell it was you didn't know you'd have to wait till the next time they played it uh when i found out it was you it made sense i'm like books butch is a hard rock guy and i can hear it and uh it was wolf in sheep's clothing that song for sure and that was by design <laughs> No, no, you again, you reinvented yourself. So take us back to, to this time period. You know, you, Marvelous 3 put out their first record in 1997, Math and Other Problems, uh, which was followed by the Hey album in 1998. And I understand that, that and I didn't know this, that it was uh, released independently on Marvelous Records. When did Electra pick up the record? So let me try to just get back a couple of brain cells and remember uh, what happened was we... Put it so we put out that second album on uh, under just a yeah I don't even know if that was a legitimate record label we just we just put a fucking name on it and sure and and, <laughs> and um and and uh, we we had put out we had gotten you know had distribution through uh, uh, some local people that had helped just kind of distribute it to mom and pop stores because that's pretty much all we were gonna get at the time and you know if you go back to that era where there was this thing called a record store you know, getting distribution was very important because the only tangible product at the time was still a CD. And so that's all we had to to, to get our music out there because we certainly weren't on the radio and we had shopped and shopped and shopped uh, ourselves to the, you know, major label world uh, in search of that last holy grail, you know, major label record deal uh, went back when the arms of your career rest in theirs. And, you know, it's not... <laughs> It, it, it it's not that way anymore, which is awesome. But um, for for you know for new people coming up, I'm I'm very excited how it works now. And, but back then we were just we were ignored by everybody because we were we always and we we knew it because we kind of joked. We we're like let you know we're we're a band that formed with an image and style and sound that was five maybe five years too early, but fifteen years too late. And so that was our kind of our motto and we just stuck with it and said maybe we're maybe we're just a little ahead you know every mm -hmm. time we got every time we got uh you know shut down by because we didn't sound like whatever band at the time you know we didn't sound exactly like the all the other number bands and we didn't sound like uh, a, a textbook 
punk pop band and we didn't sound like a metal band and yeah. all those were big at, at the in the late 90s or or, or emerging at least you know and then mm-hmm. and 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 then you know rap metal and things like that we just we were more of a just kind of a snarky you know i don't want to use the word punk loosely because we 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 definitely were more punk in our in our image because at the time there wasn't a lot of bands wearing skinny black jeans and ties and eyeliner and label i remember labels you know who thought they knew everything were just like going you know why do they why, why are you guys dressed like the knack you know and it's like it's cause, cool that's because the knack was fucking cool bro and also <laughs> yeah. and, and also like let's let's take a chance on something that's 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 not really being you know done or whatever and i'm not saying we we certainly didn't invent this we there was a lot of bands on bubbling on the underground that and and a lot of punk bands too that that were kind of adopting that sense of style and putting some of that rigid almost new wave element into the guitar playing and the music and we were like obsessed we were obsessed with with the cars and i mean we were obsessed with everything we were all three just walking music encyclopedias and so yeah. that that's why over the years there was all these different reinventions cuz whatever we would all get into listening to and i completely promise i will answer your question uh but i have no, i have not great. begun to do this yet but um <laughs> you know the, the 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 thing is is we would um you know we would all get on kicks and, and go like oh man this is all like the early late 70s early 80s new york scene which we were we were really into on the first marvelous three record which is why we kind of we, we were stealing you know moves from all kinds of groups at that time i remember when um this this will go eventually answer the question about the song, and when it came out is when we put that second record out. I I had played it for Jace, uh, who's still my best friend to this day, the bass player, and um, and I played him the you know the the the, the record because I it was just the demos obviously because he had not heard them, he would not played on them yet. I just yeah. did the demos in my bedroom, and I played him a uh, freak of the week, and I remember I totally slogged it off i was just like oh yeah and then this is like a kind of a fucking throwaway novelty like attempt at a hit song <laughs> and and i didn't care at the time i we we didn't want to do that we just wanted to we wanted to be successful on our own terms and whatever i mean but but the the irony and the and the hypocrisy is we all want to be big right so it's like at the same time we would hope we were able to like get through but i didn't think it would be that song i thought it was whatever I was probably just being a little too snobby with myself at the time and thinking that uh, I had so much better songs written than this, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But like Jace was like, he was the, he was the barometer because he was not a music critic. He was a music lover and he listened and he goes, that's the one, that's the song. And I was like, really? That this song, the song about coming to terms with selling out, you know, because and you, he's not going to bullcrap you. He's your best friend. Right. And uh, so the irony was, you know, here we were getting ready to push this song about coming to terms with selling out <laughs> that I had written, hopefully not about me, but, um, right. but, but it turned out to be. And, um, and, and it's only because, you know, that was Jace. He put that in my head that, that maybe that song had some juice or something. And uh, I, so the next move was to go into 99X uh, which was the the alternative radio station that yep. was just one of the top stations in the country at this time. And Leslie Fram, the program director, who was just um, blowing up as like, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, the ta- the tastemaker at the time. For, and for the other, listeners, this was this was 99X out of Atlanta. That's right, out of Atlanta. Yeah. And they they were playing everything that was playing the big festivals and they were 
putting on all the big festivals and and if your band was getting played in heavy rotation on that station you were probably thriving at that moment or about to and all the other stations around the country would like follow suit if they started playing your song yeah. uh sort of the they same the way K-Rock they did with the k-rock yeah that's right yeah. we were the k-rock <laughs> of the south yeah. and so there was a local dj there named steve and steve was incredible he had a locals show called locals only on sunday nights and you know nobody tuned into that shit except for musicians hoping to hear their song on the radio because no one was listening to the radio on sunday night you know and so they you know sadly that's where that's where they would play all the local stuff and you know you're if you're lucky you'd get your one spin a week you know on there but hard as hell to break out of that and into like um into mainstream radio play especially with when it's all local unsigned bands right yeah uh so steve heard it i went over to his desk he was at his cubicle and i played him the little cdr uh you know that i had made and he heard the first song and he, he was skipping around and then he got to like the third or i buried freak of the week on it you know and he heard that and he listened to literally it only takes 20 seconds to get to the chorus of that song and, we're gonna get there yes i'm glad you pointed yes. that out <laughs> and so um so you know he listened and when it got to the chorus after the course he shut it off and he just looked at me and he goes follow me and he got up and i was like what the fuck is he doing he got up and he walked into leslie's office while she was in the middle of a meeting with the doors closed and steve goes you have to hear this and i was like what the, what the hell is going on here is he, is he gonna lose his job is she gonna be you know get, get the <laughs> fuck out of my office um and uh and no she stopped the meeting and goes, "Hey, uh, yes, I've heard of you. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of your, you know, I play a lot of your friends' bands because a lot of our friends that had were in bands that were already starting to kind of take off and were already on the radio and stuff. And so we were we were pretty left out in the cold and feeling pretty uh, bad about ourselves by this point and not like able to. We just felt like maybe this isn't going to work. Maybe we should just like you know make a textbook record of whatever is you know." fashionable at the time but we didn't want to do that so we took that cdr in and she she put on the first few songs again just like he did kind of skipped her skipped through them after like 30 seconds she's like that's good that's that's good you know she was like nice and then she got the freak of the week same exact thing she got after the chorus she turned it down and goes that that song's a hit she's like do you mind if i start playing it and i was like oh my god don't please don't fuck with my emotions right now I was, like, <laughs> I was like please be be telling the truth because this is going to destroy me if you don't because that was just like the it was sort of like you know i don't know it's not like winning the lottery but it is for a musician for a young guy who's been slugging it out on the road 200 days a year his whole life and like this is finally a shot that at the time that was the only time you had a shot was getting well, and radio. you can't put enough emphasis on 99X. They were the K-Rock of the South. And, they were. And, you know, they were so influential. What you know, Other playlists would look at what they were playing. And I love this story because I have said so many times on this show and outside of this show, and, and I know you, you think the same thing, Butch. I know that you have songs that you've produced or written and that just, for whatever reason, didn't become a hit at radio, but you know in your heart that they were a hit. You know, And in my opinion, this should have been the... The, if not one of the biggest songs in 1999. This song is awesome. Um, huh. I, I loved it from the from the first time I heard it. And it's so great for, of you to tell the story of how, and, and there's it's such a running theme on this podcast of, yeah, this was just another song. I kind of buried it. I, it was kind of a joke, you know? Yeah. And, and that became the one. It's the one you, you didn't think of. No, and, and that was just it. It was every record company, including Elektra, turned us down up to that day. 
And then she started playing it, and phones went crazy for it, requests. And then every station started adding it across the board. And then it just started climbing very fast up to, like, top five eventually. And then so every single label the very next week, she told me, she Leslie was like, she's like, don't sign anything yet. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool and cocky of her to say that because she was like, she was like, those record companies are all going to like eat crow and come back after you now. That's and of so course, and, and then and then there was a bidding war, uh, for right? Us, and, you know, including the late one of the labels that turned us down. That's so, so awesome. Now, was was the track she was playing Freak of the Week? Was that the same one that Electra picked up? Meaning, was there when Electra got a hold of the record? A lot of times they want to do a remix, so they want to add parts. Was it the same thing? This was the inspiring producer, uh, aspiring producer in me, where I I was not happy with this being out there on the radio uh because everyone else was like no it's great it's 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 the one getting played all over the radio and it was literally my my rough mix that i had done on a 16 track you know recording setup in 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 my bedroom uh-huh uh, like the drums were on two tracks you know just like there was no you couldn't even mix if you sent this to, to a mixer to mix they couldn't even do anything because i had i had grouped everything down to two tracks each Oh, wow. Because I didn't have enough tracks. I only had yeah. 16 tracks. And so I was like, okay, the drums are all on two tracks. <laughs> so <laughs> if they wanted to like bring up the snare drum or bring up the kick drum or EQ it, you can't, can't do it. Tough yeah. shit. So, poor man's, um, man's multi track. Yeah. And I didn't know anything about record, really not anything about recording or mixing at the time. I was, I wanted to be a producer engineer and I try, I was, I was getting better at it. Obviously, this was listenable, what they were playing on the radio. And, by the time I got on the radio with all the radio compression, it actually sounded almost as good as anything done by, you know, slick producers and engineers and mixers is what people said. But I okay. was I was very much under the under the guise of it needs to be recorded right. You know, so okay. but I didn't want to lose the whatever magic they heard. So you know what we did is we went up to Bearsville, New York, where we needed we we still needed to finish the record. The record now was this with the producer Jim Ebert, who co-produced the record with you. Yes, so he did not produce that song. I had done that myself, but okay. Jim, Jim and I got together to go to Bearsville to finish the record. So what we did is we okay. took we took my tracks and we built around them and re-recorded the drums properly and did all that to it. And you know this is all obviously textbook anti-punk rock move is to like re-record your shit and and you know take take the grit out of it so to speak everybody thinks that's what happens right well it sounds um, like you kept the integrity of the song though you kept the parts you needed we we it's, it's absolutely the same recording we, it was just literally re de, redoing the drums uh on that one uh so that we Did, could have it properly mixed by a guy you know probably a three-name guy who was like doing all the radio mixing at the time you know so we we ended up giving it to Tom Lord Algae, I think at the time, yeah, to, to mix it, and it was really funny because that was a time when, unfortunately, someone who was just mixing your record, who had zero, you know, skin in the game on your record at all, they were not there for the blood and sweat and the tears, but they're there to either completely elevate it with their mixing skills or destroy it, and <laughs> and so yeah. he uh, he sent it back. While the song was on the radio and blowing up, he sent the mix back that we were going to service to radio and like replace 
the other one, the other version with uh, just because it just sounded bigger and a little spankier. But he, he took he took out the intro, which was the the little like lo-fi kind little of little sample drums, the drum loop thing, which was yeah. very, very much the signature to the song. So when you heard sure. it come on, when, when that would come on at shows, people knew what they were getting and they would go fucking mental. Yeah. When, when they heard the. Yeah, for sure. He took it out and and like didn't even use it in this in this in the mix and I and I, I remember I called him and this is when mixers were so cocky and getting overpaid like you and who the believe, hell are you kid and yeah. get and getting percentage points for mixing your record something you created <laughs> yeah. um, you know it, it, that's one step above like giving the mastering guy a, a point. <laughs> <laughs> which which was everybody was just trying to get a, a fucking percentage point on a record when records were selling. Yeah. Uh, and so he sent it back like that. And we all listened to it and we're like, well, you left out like one of the key points of the, the, the you know, the identity of the song yeah. from the get go. The heartbeat of the song. And I remember he just said, eh, what are you going to do? That's what he said to me. And I was like, well. I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you to put it fucking back in is what I'm going to tell you to do. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't, I'll send it to somebody else, which I'm sure you're not used to that ever happening to you, but I will. And and sure enough, like it got put back in and the mix sounded great. He did a great job on it. But at the same time, there was like half the stations never switched the, the versions. They played the old version that was done in my bedroom DIY on my little 16 track recorder. And That's interesting. And when you went to Bearsville, I'm assuming that for this time period, it's right on the cusp of Pro Tools. Was it all to tape, or did you dump everything to Pro Tools when you went with Jim? No, interestingly, um, so, and this is a cool part of the story, is I'd never had money. I'd never, I'd always been just the textbook broke musician, you know, struggling, getting by with a $100 gig here and there. And when I'd record local bands on like my little eight track and 16 track setup, you know, I would get like $200 a day. And then I was still doing that up to that point. I was still having to do that for just, just to, just to pay, you know, for, you know, groceries and whatever, you know, cause I was luckily I was living, I was literally just house sitting in somebody's guest house, which is, which is where I was crashing. And I had a little setup in the corner and it was, um, I, and then I'm trying to remember what was the setup. It was probably like ADAT. You remember those? Oh, of course. Yeah. So it was like yeah. these, these literally these VHS tapes, you know, that you used as your recording format and you put them in the thing like a VCR and you could record up to eight tracks on it. You could link. They have to several, chase each other, and they yeah. get stuck. Yeah, and you could you could link you could link two machines or more together. Yeah. So I had two of those machines because they were cheaper at the time than tape, and it was way cheaper to buy the tapes to record on than it was analog reel to reel. And I grew up, and I'd made records on analog my whole life, you know, yeah. on some form of reel to reel. And so when I had that, that was cool, but it still didn't sound great. I had like a really funky, crappy board, you know, just very. I think I had like a 12 channel board and one compressor and like a couple of microphones and that's all I had. And, um, and so this was kind of cool. Um, my girl, she, this was like, Jesus, this was over 20 years ago, but, um, I was like talking to the local records, the, the local music store, uh, who had just gotten in a, um, a used Pro Tools rig, and it was a new thing, you know, still at the time. But it was progressing fastly, and a lot of people were making their records on it, and I knew this, and I was like, God, 
one of these days I'm going to have to see if I can ever afford a computer and learn this computer recording because I can see that I can see this is going to be the wave of the future. There was a yeah. lot of records starting to get played on the radio that were made strictly in computers that sounded yep. like they were made sort of on tape, you know, and um, and it was just improving and getting better and, and the quality and the track count and all these things was just was just progressing quickly. That's why there was a used system at this music store because somebody had upgraded already to the next version, yeah. and it was it was the it was this R and B uh, this R and B group from Atlanta called Silk that brought their old system in. a 16 track version of Pro Tools. That was it. No more tracks than that. Very limited interface, very limited everything. It's probably um, version one. I think it probably had a one, God, what was the hard drive? Like a 500 megabyte. Yeah. Hard drive. It was like rack mounted in like three rack spaces. <laughs> and um, and the computer was ancient, like the one of the first Macs, you know, that you could actually record with. But I was at the time, I, you know, they wanted like four grand for it. And I was like, that's, I don't, I've never had four grand in my life. And so it was awesome because uh, my girl went, she put this, she put it on layaway and I didn't know it. And then ended up buying it for me with her bartending money. That's Which awesome. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to take this, you know? And it was, she was like, well, that's tough shit, you know? And, uh, you know, I was like, I promise I'll pay you back one day. <laughs> and, uh, and sure well, enough. Kind of, it sounds like it, it, that was the core, one of the courses that, that, uh, put you where you're at now. It's I, like, I, it, it absolutely, on that, pair, on that course. It, it, it did. It set, it, it set the course because, yeah. Because I immediately got, dove in headfirst and started learning how to op, how to operate a Mac or a computer at all, and then how to record into it, and then all trial and error. And I would stay up Brian Wilson style in a robe and and like underwear, you know, like 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 Ron Burgundy, you know, just like sitting at the console with growing a beard and and like till six in the morning when the sun coming up, falling asleep on the mouse, and then next thing you know, like. I had that that marvelous three record that was the first thing I had done on a computer, and it and that was the first time I did. Uh, that's when I did Freak of the Week. Because, that's awesome, man. And so that yeah, it was all that chain of events, and that, and that was just like uh, that was the start of it. And and I'm 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 just so I love telling that story just because of how awesome it was to have her take a leap of faith when nobody else believed in me at that time, you know? No, and there's a, there's a good chance you might've missed the boat on, on getting educated to record and learning computers. I mean, you were, you were on the, uh, the forefront of this and you had to be back then. Uh, yeah, because it, it was, it was so new. I knew so many people. I had an engineer one time say to me, eh, he called it slow tools. Oh, like, that's we all never, called it that. that that's yeah. never going to take, I mean, hell it, it took you. Sometimes some of those old Macs would take a half hour just to boot up, but uh, oh, we're good. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to jump into the song uh, right now uh, Freak of the Week is 3 minutes and 20 seconds long right in that pop wheelhouse uh, uh, for a length of a song it starts with the 3 second drum drum loop sample before the band kicks in uh, the sample then sits underneath the band it's still there while the band in there's these killer just stereo guitars doing these eighth notes panned off while this arpeggiated guitar part is following the bass it's kind of this hypnotic sounding little riff i love it
at 11 seconds, and this moves quick as bitch. Uh, sorry, I said bitch. <laughs> <laughs> edit, Chris. Edit. Oh, don't. No, don't edit that. <laughs> I did not mean to call you that. I love you, Butch. Um, at 11 seconds, as Butch said this song. Uh, see, sometimes I talk too fast. I should have been an auctioneer. Uh, this song moves quick, as, as he mentioned a little bit before. At 11 seconds, we're already in the first verse. And uh, I want to read these lyrics out, and I want you to set them up for us. I spend a lot on all the clothes that I got, because all the geeks that I meet, they all look cooler than me. What to do when they're all looking at you, because you're the freak of the week, because you're on the TV. <laughs> what are you saying there? That was just like at the time, you know, I was seeing a lot of, uh, and, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all. Maybe I do. Maybe because I, I probably did then, but I wouldn't now. You know, when I was full of piss and vinegar and just a snarky asshole, you know, 20 something. And I was, and I came from, you know, mostly rock that had uh, an image and was like, you know, ha had something kind of flash or whatever. And, and just also growing up in that rock world, I noticed all of a sudden there started to be like this like um, professionally groomed and styled, you know, band that clearly didn't probably have any style, <laughs> but had a good song. And then they went through the puppy mill of getting signed to a major label. They, they immediately throw them with a stylist and they dress them up in all these clothes that, that look really uncomfortable. By the way, I'm imitating this because after Marvelous 3 got signed, we had some awful looks. And then it was all due to influence of like, you know, oh, wear this. This is very hot right now. And so, <laughs> and you still so have your you, red leather jacket. I, I wish it burned in the fire the first oh, time. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I yeah, know. You, it, it, it I love that jacket. And you wore a, that at Music Music Midtown when I saw you guys. I'm like, that's awesome. Good jacket. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of like I'd see these bands and I could tell that like they were probably just like, you know, art school students or, or, you know, or just like, you know, frat guys or whatever. And all of a sudden they're, you know, all of a sudden they're getting dressed up in like lots of shiny shirts and leather and stuff. And I'm like, God, they don't look very comfortable in that. They, it doesn't seem like legit. Yeah. And like I said, at the risk of me sounding like a hypocrite, I've had many faulty looks. But at the time, I thought, me as well. I thought my shit didn't stink at the time, although it did. And so that song was written as like a piss take on, on that, on that whole scene because this was the whole process of the of textbook sellout, you know, right? Like they, yeah, the, like the band leaves the nest when they're playing to their fans in like Crocs and and shorts, and then all of a sudden they're they're on the video and they're wearing like you know Gucci and Prada and stuff like that, and you're like, oh, what happened? Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild, and we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. So, so like I said, I'm, just, I'm guilty as charged. Right, and it was—it's uh, kind of like these were just kind of fun lyrics, and you were—you were being a little Super snarky. Super fun, snarky. Yeah, I get it. Uh, on the second and fourth lines uh, of the song, there's a harmony on each of those lines, but it's a really subtle harmony. It's not really stuck out. It's just—it's very back there, but it just adds something. I spend a lot on all the clothes that I got, cause all the geeks that I meet, they all look cooler than me. Freak of the week, cause you're on the 
And then at the 25 second mark, man, you're already at the chorus and the, it just explodes. Uh, there's percussion that comes in here. It's almost panned uh, kind of to the right. It's like a tambourine and some shakers. Um, and uh, it's just it just gets really big. And the lyric is, can you make me a promise? Stop it before we begin. Will you hold onto my head if I ever lose it again? And there's harmonies on the first three lines. The last line is just you alone. Set up these lyrics. What so so uh, you're being snarky at the at the verse and, and and where are you taking us here? Well, I I guess it just depends on who you're like who that chorus is ask is asking that of you know whether it's you praying to some god or 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 asking your girlfriend at the time please make me a promise you know let's stop this before it begins you know don't let my head get out of the game or get too big for my britches that's that's what that you know next line means hold on to my head if I ever lose it again. And so, it, like I said, it's just this, it's this inner battle, inner struggle with, with said artist who's putting their shit out there and yeah. they're about to lose the plot. You know. I love that lyric. Will you hold on to my head if I ever lose it again? It's awesome. And right um, after the word begin on the second chorus lyric, stop it before we begin, Jace does this really cool descending bass line. It's, it's super simple, but it's just perfect. Stop it before we begin. Tasteful. I, I love the playing. I love the the w- what's going on here. I'm assuming Jace played on the record. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah everybody okay. did. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I've seen him live. He's a ripper. So I, I he's you, you a just great never, bass player. He's awesome. He's awesome. But just yeah. I just man, it just gives me the goosebumps when that when that bass line came in there. It's just so cool. Um, at the end of the chorus, there's the total. I, I, I in my notes here, I wrote the total rock moving guitar parts. And then on the double snare, there's a clap clap. Yeah. <laughs> Always well, gotta have claps. Was that something you wanted there or something Jim came Just, up with or this was all you? I don't remember if Jim did too, but we were, de- uh, you know, this was the record was let's make the cars and the Ramones and, and uh, let's combine all of these elements, you know, let's, let's get the, so, so hand claps were a commonality in all of that, you know, back in the yeah, day. Yeah, the knack, as you said, yeah. Absolutely, like my Sharona, like uh, people just respond to them, you know, and it's yeah. a, it's a people mimic it live, and it's fun, and and it, it also just makes a snare sound a uh, badass. It does, and it's just it it <laughs> yeah. only happens once in this song that, you know, yeah. but man, it's just, just so it's such. It's such a hook, and it's those little things that all add up to a hit song, and you wonder why it's a hit, you know? And regardless of what it did on the charts, that that little uh, little added, cla- those two claps are just perfect. That's awesome. Uh, we, we get into the reintro. It's the same length as the top of the song, but that arpeggiated guitar picking part comes comes in, That what I was saying, the hypnotic uh, haunting part, but I notice it's louder here in the mix. I'm assuming that I'm assuming that was intentional. Absolutely, it, yeah, at least it, it sounds louder than the first when it, at, the, at the first uh, part of the song. Yeah, it, it does and is for sure. Yeah. You know, okay, and, uh, and uh, maybe maybe that's when it became doubled, uh, maybe by a second guitar, quite and possibly, and maybe that's why it sounds fuller. And I'm, I can't I'm, I'm remember. A, I mean, the whole the whole the riff was 
was inspired by um, a lot of people think it's the birds because I mimic the so you want to be a rock and roll star melody cadence. Then it's time to go downtown where the agent man won't let you down. Sell your soul to the company who are waiting there to sell plasticware. Which might have been subconsciously in my mind, but I was actually trying to, I was ripping off Mayor of Simpleton by XTC, which uh. I loved. <laughs> Yeah. And so and that one had that same sort of descending bass thing going Yes. And the guitar was sort of doing some sort of arpeggiated thing on on that. And I mean, I shamelessly bit that as hard as I could chew, but without plagiarizing it because believe me. Yeah. It it does not get far past uh the uh, the due diligence process at a label if there's something like that happening. So uh, I but love it, how the bass and the guitar are chasing each other during that part. It's so yeah, cool. and it's cool when you when you can like sit there and make something like that happen when, when you're you know when you're coming up with it and you're like oh god this is so fun I could do this all day. Well, listen how they're counter counterpointing each other, you know, and so yeah. uh, it that just stuck, and then it just so happened to be that that guitar thing became. I had to pick and choose my battles as a three piece whether to do the the chunk the or the boom so that's two different guitar parts recorded so I would just play a combination of both I would chunk it and arpeggiate it with a chorus pedal on it and make it kind of sound kind of corally and like dreamy sounding but at the same time keeping the the chunky thing going live that's awesome. Well, we get into the second verse, and there's a rhyme scheme difference here from verse one that I want to talk about that, that, that's really interesting. I'm going to read the lyric, and I'll, and I'll talk about that. Um, I've got a shrink. I swear he's Elvis, I think. He wears the coolest suede shoes when I come in with the blues. He thinks it's all about, and everywhere on Google it says all about culture and art, but I swear you get an R in there, O-U-R, like like yours and mine. He thinks it's all about our culture and art. Is that what you say there? Got a shrink, I swear he's Elvis, I think. He wears a cool and suede shoes when I come in with the blues. He thinks it's all about culture and art, but the truth of it is that it rips me apart. No, it's all about, he, he thinks it's all about culture and art. Okay. I might have just like thrown a little extra syllable at you for then. Okay, well yeah. then, then we'll go with that. Then he uh, he thinks it's all about culture and art, but the truth of it is that it rips me apart. So on the first verse, on the second line, because all the geeks that I meet, they all look cooler than me. And the last line, because you're the freak of the week, because you're on the TV, me and TV. Well, here in the second verse, um, the last line should have. Uh, if it was mimicked after the first verse, it should have rhymed with blues in the second line. But you don't do it there. You say he thinks it's all about culture and art, but the truth of it is that it rips me apart. Was that just what the lyric was? Did you ever think? And I find myself doing this when I write songs. I go, well, the first verse on the fourth line, it rhymed with the second line. I got to do it in the second verse. Yeah, that's interesting. Sometimes I do change it up for the second verse, but I can't remember if I did that intentionally or not. I was going for those, what they, I guess, call inner, inner rhyme schemes. On uh-huh. the second, you know, where 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 you take, you know, the one line and it has, you know, shrink and think and 
blues and shoes and you know that kind of thing uh the first and it's brilliant because i hate that about myself as i've gotten older and i'm sure there's things about yourself where you go man i wish i was still naive in, in a sense where i overthink things as a songwriter i go it was like this the first verse that's got to be like no if it makes you feel good on the second verse it can be the way that it is <laughs> yeah it's weird i don't know why i did that at the time it might have just been you know, like I said, there could have been a song that did it that I loved, uh, and it was just subconsciously in my brain that way to, to, to put it there. And again, on the second line and the fourth line of verse two, there's those subtle harmonies that are there that just adds that little octaves, little extra. Yeah. yeah, those octaves are really cool. Um, what are you saying here? You know, I've got a shrink. I swear he's Elvis, I think. Uh, what, what, set, up th set up this verse now for us. It's, uh, again, this is, the, this is the subject of having to... Uh, come to terms with their selling out and and how it's affecting their friendships back home and their relationships and what people being really concerned with what people think of them especially their og fans and their og it's it's i mean it's it, it literally is the, the piss take of punk rock and how mm -hmm. like you really no no man I, I don't want that one guy at the record store to get mad at me you know <laughs> And, um, Which is interesting, though, because I guess you're taking an outside look at, at, at the other bands, is. because because at this point, yourself, uh, self-admitted, you didn't have a pot to piss in. No. I mean, you. so so it wasn't about you selling out. It was about what you were observing. It was me observing it and then wondering if that would ever happen. And and uh, and, and, and and that's why, <laughs> that's the, cool. you know, getting together with a with a shrink to uh, discuss all this. And even he has cool shoes, you know, and I'm like, it's making me doubt his integrity you know <laughs> that is awesome man. it's ridiculous that, yeah that is that 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 i had no idea that's why i, I love doing this show you learn things like that because i've sung this lyric so many times over the years and had no idea that's what you were, you were getting after oh that's uh, fun that's awesome we're already at one minute and five I say already we're at one minute and five seconds usually in a lot of songs you don't get to the first chorus we're already at the second chorus now it's the same as the first chorus um I'm going to read the lyric again. Can you make me a promise? Stop it before we begin. Will you hold on to my head? And there's harmonies, nice high harmonies on all three of those. The last line is just you, if I ever lose it again. And those moving rock chords that are da 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 And then I call it the killer breakdown part. It's, and I wrote, it's the jung 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 part uh, that comes <laughs> in there. And it's just heavy. Had to have a minimum of four junk junks at the time on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It is so rock. And I remember when I found out this song was you, I'm like, yes. Because <laughs> I, I could feel the spirit of the 80s. This part reminds me, not even so much 80s, more 70s. Like, I hear the sweet. I don't know if you remember Stars. Dude, Stars love, and Sweet. Uh, all those, dude, those were Stars huge. and the Raspberries, all those group. bands. Oh, yeah. Those bands yeah. were all big for us. Those were big yeah. bands for us. We loved and, them. And uh, the, the third time of the Jung Jung, uh, the guitar harmony comes in. And then when the band is in, it's the octave. Ding, 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 ding. And I'm also hearing now, as I hark back, it almost sounds a little Floyd's Funk Revival in there. You're getting a little of that 70s. So, yeah, there, there, there's a, all of a sudden a funky element comes in. Yeah, <laughs> but that part is is so good. It's so good. Yeah, um, it's fun. And then the band ramps up to this like crescendo, and then the whole bottom drops out. Of course. And it's just the guitar 
single guitar and a quiet vocal that's kind of just kind of swirling and moving around. And I don't know if you did this intentionally or if you even know what the hell I'm talking about, Butch, but here at the bridge, uh, the tell me I sold out, tell me I sold out, go ahead. That lyric happens twice. And as that's happening, at, uh, that starts at the one, one twenty second mark, around 146 in the song, there's a guitar flub on those mutes. Tell me a soul out. Tell me a soul out. Go ahead. Tell me a soul out. Tell me a soul out. Go ahead. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but it doesn't surprise me because I didn't really. I just I'm not a big fan of retakes, you know. I like to it, it. It is it is a beautiful mistake, but but that's something that that probably maybe now that you would go, oh, that has to be fixed. It's an no. Obvious... I would rather not fix it. <laughs> good, good. To, that's good to hear. Okay. Yeah, I just I mean that that to me that I grew up listening to records on headphones because you know if they were loud in the house, you know you might get yelled at. So. I would listen to all the little weird imperfections on like Aerosmith records and yeah. Queen records even. I mean, everybody thinks that band is so perfectly aligned and like overproduced. And it's like, there's not a lot going on on those records. It's vocals that are like, they're, the vocals are like the symphony, but the band underneath is a three piece. Yeah, And it's like, and they're making all kinds of weird fucking noises and flubs and stuff. And if you get the solo tracks on youtube now and listen to some of those you're like oh man there's bad notes all over the place and it's like but but that's that's i don't know that's the character and what keeps it interesting to listen to you know just the fact that you left that in there you just said the word character you took the words out of my mouth it it adds this realness this authenticity to it this song doesn't sound fake and corporate and produced there's something something real here and i and i love that i i i noticed that and i kept going back to it and i'm like Wait a second. It it is a it is a guitar flub. It's not perfect, but but it is perfect for the song. It's perfect. Um, <laughs> we then get into basically after the "Tell me I sold out." Tell me I sold out. Go ahead. The mood changes uh, uh, musically. Uh, it's the same vocal melody, but the guitar is panned off to the right, playing this kind of staccato pattern, while the other guitar is pan right, playing like uh, an arpeggiated part. Um, there's no harmonies here, but you come back uh, and sing the first verse again underneath, underneath it, it. Yeah, underneath it. The tell me I sold out. Tell me I sold out. Go ahead is going. And now the uh, first verse comes back. And I spent a lot of, on all the clothes that I got because all the geeks that I meet, they all look cooler than me. And right there, though, you do this na na thing. No, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my best, my was, worst was, Michael Jackson imitation, probably. <laughs> was, were you just kind of, uh, as we call, scatting on the mic and it's something always, you left in? Always. I mean, I, I did that all the time anyway. Like, you know, that would just like, ah, uh, you know, like that. And it is a Michael Jackson and a Prince thing and all that. But like, I, I watched mean, I a bunch of, li- I watched a bunch of live videos you're talking about. There's things in this song that the audience reacts to and everyone. Uh, do, does uh, the na na with yeah, with, with the fist in the air? Yeah, they it's, do. <laughs> it's so it's so. I got goosebumps watching it last time. I'm like that is so cool. That's fun. Um, for what to do when they're all looking at you because you're the freak of the week, and then the last line kind of fades in the mix because you're on the TV because the basically the other uh, vocal that was underneath it, the tell me I sold and you hold yeah. the sold the the note out real high. Yeah, yeah. It's now in unison. 
with as that. the chorus as the chorus comes back in for the quadruple chorus at yeah. the end of the song. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, you remember you remember the Manford Man song that they covered the Bruce Springsteen song Blinded by the Light? Of course. Yeah. It's a pretty rocking version and it's a pretty great recording. And the way that they do the vocal round at the end was probably an influence in in my younger years on on this song because, you know, they go into the blinded by the light. Left up like a deuce, another runner, and they keep that going. Then the do roll on the phone on the ceiling, kind of. Yeah. So he goes back to the first verse and puts it underneath, and I'm like, oh, that's good. Good. That is the so old, cool. That's the old so cool. vocal round. I, I I could back this in modern music, and so I I did it a lot, you know, to songs where the last chorus uh, I would like make a vocal round out of it, which I do on Freak of the Week as well. So that is so cool that you referenced that. That is, re- I, I <laughs> totally hear that now, and I never would have would have thought that unless you said something. Thank, thank you for sharing that. The uh, the the I'm calling it the quadruple chorus. So a double chorus comes in. It's the same as the first two choruses. I'll read the lyric uh, one time for the last time. Can you make me a promise? Stop it before we begin. Will you hold on to my head if I ever lose it again? And after the second time, then the chord progression changes back to the bridge progression. And But the chorus still goes another two times. You're singing the chorus lyric over the bridge progression. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's where that vocal round thing just came back and was like, this makes perfect sense, you know, especially instead of the broken down, uh, the broken down version of the chords in the bridge at the outro, we did the bridge, but we just kept the beat going just like the chorus. So it's doing the, you know, you know, and so it's going through those chords. Tell me a soul Tell me a soul so we just we brought that back but ramped up and it and then it I this was a this was my first time using like I said a computer to record records and using pro tools so I was fascinated with this ability to ability to uh uh copy and paste parts yeah I'd never been able to do that so <laughs> so so I I took the tell me I took the um uh tell me I sold out tell me I sold out go ahead from the bridge and put it underneath at the end while it's going you know can you make promise and that actually might have been even what we call flown yeah copy and pasted on the end i might have just been doing making that chorus just out of spending too much time in front of the computer one night and going like oh my god you can do this and then 
there there you have it you know well i'll tell you the, the chorus of this song is the hook but you get two choruses in this song that bridge is kind of a chorus that yeah, me I yeah. Sold that out. Was, that's that's the hook most people remember from the song whenever they go what what song is that and then i'll go like oh you know tell me i sold out and i go oh yeah that one <laughs> well and it's interesting too because the only time the song's called freak of the week is is the fourth line in the first verse it's the only it's not in the refrain of the song it's not the big by, chorus hook yeah, that you by hear, design so. of, again by design that was like oh i liked I don't like it when like a song is is the the, the chorus is the title, you know. <laughs> it's like, so full no, of my fucking but, self at the time. No, <laughs> I think it's awesome. Um, the third time uh, that the chorus comes around, and now the vocals too, they're in stereo at the end here. It, mm. They go stereo; they're panned uh, hard. Each of them, it's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, the third time, the chorus comes back in with the "Tell Me You Sold That" lyric, uh, continuing underneath now, basically till the song fades out. And I had one last thing in the notes here. I had to say is uh, there is some just killer bass runs and note choices here at, at at the fade out. Jace did some really cool stuff. I'm telling you, that's what that was the best thing about us uh, going through our funky phase in the '90s, where like we were like obsessed with uh, like funk rock bands from the '70s, like Mother's Finest, and and of course like the Almond Brothers, and uh, uh, I mean you name it. It was like, but we did we were not trying to make a southern rock record, you know. We were yeah. like we were we were somehow gonna take all of that and put it into Tom Peterson's bass and make it sound like cheap trick, you know, <laughs> which I completely failed to mention that that was one of our big, that was an architect for that band for the marvelous three was, was cheap trick sure. by, by, by and large. Can, can, I can, I can totally hear that. Well, yeah. um, this song, uh, I've, I've loved it to the first time I heard it and just getting to just really absorb myself the last two days in it. Uh, it's, I cranked it up. I went grocery shopping last night and I just put it in my car. I floored it by the volume to like 11 and I'm just singing it with the windows down and I just, <laughs> I'm serious, man. Like it's, That's it's, awesome. it's, a, it's, a, awesome. it's, 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 I love this tune. Um, and one last thing, but before I let you go, I have to say something else. And, and again, I, I, uh, not blowing smoke. I've told a lot of people by a lot of younger bands you know how do you make it how do you do this and do that and 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 being able to constantly pivot and 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 reinvent and change with the times and you know the, you're the first person i ever co-wrote a song with well started to co-write a song we less than jake was doing the in with the out crowd record we were at uh one of those studios out in burbank somewhere i don't know and you you had come down um uh, I remember my that. manager, my manager said, you know, would you want to write with Butch Walker? I'm like, are you kidding? And you walked in that day and I was shaking. I was like a kid in a candy store. Uh. And, <laughs> and you came, you came in and I had this song called, uh, don't fall asleep on the subway. And I had played it for you. And one of the things I'll never forget was you looked at me at the end and you just, you just said to me, you said, and most guys would never do this. Most guys would want to try to get some money out of something. And you just looked at me, you go, what do you want me to do with this? This is a great song. And I've, I've never respected somebody in the business more than that. I'll never forget that. We ended up not doing a co-write together. We, we spent an hour on that, and you had to be somewhere else, and that was kind of, kind of the end of it. That was my first co-writing experience was you telling me, no, this song is what it is. What, what do you want me to do, with, do to it? And yeah. I'm sitting there slack-jawed going, well, you're supposed to make it better. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to thank you for, for being that, that humble and that freaking cool, man. Oh, well, sometimes, you know, if if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, that's the thing. A lot of people don't understand that. I mean, I did that on the last Green Day record where they came in with, 
you know, I don't, I don't care if people think that I had a lot to do with it or not. Uh, like when they brought me uh, the demo, so to speak, and they brought me the demo to the song Father of All, which mm-hmm. was uh, Father of All Motherfuckers, you know, that record. They, they brought me the, the recording of it, and it was, it, was, it was done. I was like, this is great. And I was like, I was like we can't re-record the, the track. I mean, we can add a couple of things and maybe fine tune it a little bit, but we can't re-record this. And they all three were like, oh, God, I'm so glad you said that. You know, because they were like, we really love this version. And I'm like, it's got so much fire. It's crazy. I'm not going to fuck this up for you. You know? Yeah. Like, not, I don't want to, like, take this and, like, just to, for vanity's sake, say, oh, I had, to, I had to completely fix that song and re-record it. You know, that's what A and R guys do. <laughs> I don't want. Yeah, to, well, I don't need not, to do that. You know, not a lot of guys in this business have that uh, humility and that restraint, and that's uh, that's refreshing. But oh. man, um, I, I want to thank you so much for sitting in. I I, I know you got you got a busy day ahead. And if there's anything you'd like to leave the listeners right now with uh, Butch Walker solo, maybe a marvelous three uh, reunion. We could play a show with Less Than Jake. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. That'd be really fun. We've been we, <laughs> we we've been we've been talking a lot about trying to maybe get back together to play some play some shows and just getting getting my my barn and jam you know yeah right on right on yeah well good deal man well hey thank you so much and 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 have a great rest of your day you too my man thanks hey everyone this is tuck from fit for a king in off-road minivan every week i bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast get tucked Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to make a podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Everyone Lies from Hampshire, England. The band consists of Adam on vocals and guitar, Ben on guitar and vocals, Stokesy on bass and vocals, and Lockie on the drums. You can find them on Instagram at everyonelies_band. Here's a snippet of their song, Biscuits. Rap with Chris and Chris. Well, that was easily one of my favorite episodes ever. And I think that Butch is the perfect example of someone with a healthy obsession with all types of music, which then obviously spills right over into his songwriting. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that just, uh, uh, eat, breathes, and sleeps music. Uh, he was probably that kid that was in his headphones, falling asleep uh, uh, in his tenth grade science class. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, nodding off to the teacher. You know, um, he even talked about when he got that first Pro Tools, where he, you know, fall asleep at six in the morning holding the mouse. He's just he uh, has a healthy obsession, and, and, it, and it bleeds into his uh, into his songwriting. And I think it's cool that. He's played so many different styles of music, but not in a following the trends kind of way. He just seems like a guy that just is interested in so many 
styles of music. Because honestly, man, you could write a song and play it in different styles. And if you are a fan of so many different types of music, which came across even in you talking about this one song and you talking about Freak of the Week, there were so many different styles of music incorporated into the writing of this song that, yeah, I could see how he could be in a hair metalish type band, then a funk band, then Marvelous 3. Yeah, I mean, he he took off for L.A. when he was 18 years old. Uh, the band was called Bite the Bullet. They changed the name to South, South Gang. They got a record deal. You know, he was uh, the ripe old age of 18. When he formed Marvelous 3, he was in his late 20s, which is is, is crazy. You know, that, that to me is so young now. Uh, you know, he still had a whole whole uh, uh, lifetime ahead of him as a career, and Marvelous 3 was basically his, his third band at that point, you know, from South gang to floyd's funk revival uh then they, they shortened the name to the floyds and then uh formerly marvelous three and then of course going on to uh to, to having a successful solo career and then being a songwriter to the stars <laughs> hey uh something i thought was really cool and should be kind of inspiring to anyone in a local band out there and hey Local band is not a derogatory term. Less Than Jake is a local band in Gainesville. (laughs) Everybody's a local band where you're from. But something I found inspiring was Butch talked about, and I assume that all cities have this. In Pittsburgh, we have a radio station. It's the rock station called The X. And on Sunday nights, they have a program called Edge of the X where they play local music. And you can hear your band on the radio for the first time. And Chris, I'm sure you've experienced that. I don't know what your station was in Florida. Well, uh, yeah, but our, our station was the the campus station at the University of Florida called Rock 104, and they had a, it was called Locals Only. And I, I think it was on Sunday night, uh, as Butch said, when uh, you know, here we'll give the locals their you know when no one's listening to the radio, uh, just the musicians right. and maybe a few of their girlfriends would would, would tune in. But uh, I was delivering pizzas in Gainesville, Florida, for Gumby's Pizza, and I uh, was out on a pizza. It's a run, listen to the locals only, and they played liquor store. And uh, I about I about damn ran my truck off the road. You know, it was just like, my gosh, it was the craziest thing to hear your hear your your own band on the radio. Right. It's always an exciting thing. Granted, 99X in Atlanta is one of the biggest rock stations, probably along the lines of K-Rock. I think you referred to it as K-Rock of the South when we talked earlier about this. But it's pretty cool that basically it was a big break for their band to get played on that local Sunday night show. Well, it was, and and not to take anything away from Butch's hard work. I mean, he was kind of uh, like a local hero in a sense. I don't think he gives himself enough credit. He was known in the Atlanta area. He had been a musician, as he uh, said, you know, toughing it out in the clubs. And of course, South Gang was from from Atlanta, and the, and the Floyd's did a lot of touring in the Southeast. But uh, you know, being able to walk in 99X and have that opportunity. You know, I lived in Atlanta in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s for about uh, two, two, two and a half years, and uh, it was just a huge influential station. What 99X was playing, other stations uh, would look at their playlist and and uh, and play it. And they also were the sponsor of Music Midtown, which was a huge festival in Atlanta. Uh, they would rope off uh, uh, Midtown Atlanta with a ton of stages. It'd be a, you know a weekend festival, and that's where I, I saw Marvelous Three for the first time. And Butch came out. Uh, we talked about in the episode. It was you know late May in Atlanta is is pretty damn humid. It was probably 95 degrees out, and here comes this dude in, in eyeliner and in this red leather jacket. Long, you know, long sleeve jacket, and I was like, uh, 
you know that guy's got some uh, got some balls coming out like that. He, he's I thought I thought I thought it was really cool. And he talked about and we didn't get into it, but I for the listeners I'd like to let them know he talked about losing that jacket in a fire uh, in November 2007. Butch and his family lost all of their possessions, uh, including the masters to every song that he ever recorded. He was renting a home from Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers out in Malibu, and there was uh, wildfires that swept through the area and uh, took his home down. He lost all the master recordings to every song uh, uh, that he ever wrote as well. So it was a pretty, pretty devastating time, but I wanted to let the listeners know what we were referencing uh, when we talked about that. Yeah, that is awful, but I'm glad no one got hurt, but still that's devastating. Yeah. Uh, that's ir- irreplaceable type stuff, but uh, yeah. Hey, another thing that you guys talked about on this episode, you mentioned a lot of bands, but the Knack came up a couple times, which is interesting because little plug, I host another podcast called One Hit Thunder about One Hit Wonders, and we did an episode about My Sharona featuring Linus of Hollywood, who people might know from Nerf Herder and from Jurinus, which is a side project with Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup. Anyway, I didn't know a lot about that band, but My Sharona was the biggest song of 1979, and that band was on the path, I guess people thought they were going to be like the next Beatles or something, which I would have never guessed for my Sharona, which sounds kind of wacky to me in a way or something. But that band had such a look. They had that like button up shirt, skinny tie look that so many bands emulated over the years. And, you know, I thought it, even when you talk about the lyrics to freak of the week, which kind of deals with this, Chris, I think you and I are kind of in the same boat of, being in bands for a long time that never really had a particular look <laughs> more, more. We're just all about the music. I could be wrong about that. I don't mean to uh, say that about Les and Jake, if it's not true. No. Yeah, no, we, we, we tried doing some different looks with photo shoots. They just always would come off forced. You know, some, some people have that X factor. Some people don't, you know, a, a guy like Davey Havoc can uh, put on the eyeliner and have the golf look and the, and the, you know, the, the vinyl pants and, and pull it off. But uh, I wear that. I look like I'm going to a Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have, we need to have a podcast look. We need to get <laughs> podcast press photos. We, we got to have some sort of look. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll figure As that I'm out. As I'm in my tidy whitey scratching my balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, <laughs> thank uh, God. That, thank more... God. This is uh, audio only. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, We are fully clothed. Don't worry, everybody. We are fully clothed. (laughs) Uh, Hey, one more thing I wanted to touch on that you guys talked about, Chris, I thought this was so cool, was you talked about the concept of a beautiful mistake, which I thought was a really cool way to put that. But there's a guitar flub in this song. It's an imperfection in the song that is just so cool. Butch proclaimed, I'd rather not fix it about this. I know you said you, you could point out the exact moment in the song where this happens. Yeah, listeners, uh, check it out. It, uh, it's the Tell Me I Sold Out uh, breakdown part, uh, the bridge at uh, 1 minute and 46 seconds. There's a, a flubbed guitar note that they left in there. We call that a beautiful mistake. And it's those uh, those real elements that, uh, that make a song sound human and not robotic. I think it was uh, great that they left it in there. My favorite example of this, I'm a huge fan of this band, but in the 90s, 10,000 Maniacs released an unplugged album and they did a cover of Because the Night. And like in the bridge section, I think it is, Natalie Merchant is singing Take Me Now. On the second Take Me Now, her voice cracks. And it is this moment that 
I honestly believe makes the song. It is so memorable. It's it could be considered a mistake. Her voice cracks, but it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mistake and uh pr- pretty cool, man. Pretty cool that uh Butch was down with that because it's especially nowadays with Pro Tools and Logic and everything else, it's pretty easy to make your song sound absolutely perfect in every way but i think we've learned on a lot of episodes now that's not always the best way to do it no those imperfect imperfections uh are are are, are meant to be sometimes for a reason wow what a story you had of your songwriting or I guess I should say non-songwriting experience with Butch Walker. Yeah, I was stoked to write a song with him. I had followed his career. Like I said, I, I, I looked up to him constantly reinventing himself, being able to pivot in this crazy industry and and, and, and uh, find a path for himself and be successful. And uh, getting to write with him was so cool. And just to have him be have that humility and just be so humble of like, I don't know, man, well, what do you want me to do with this song? And I'm like... And back in my mind, I'm like, I want you to make it better, you know? And he was basically telling right. me that the song is what it is. He referenced the Green Day project he last worked on. And uh, I just, I'll, I'll never forget that. I thought that was uh, really telling of, of the kind of person that Butch is. That's character, man. And speaking of character, Chris, each and every listener of this podcast shows their true character each month by giving towards our fundraiser, which this month, that's the National Brain Tumor Society. And your donations will go to research and treatment towards a cure for brain cancer. Uh, this is a horrible, incurable disease at the moment. And any any help uh, would be appreciated. Please head over to KristaMakesADifference.com and, uh, and give whatever you can. Yeah, man, this is a really great cause this month. Uh, I'm sure that most people out there have been touched one way or another, whether it's a friend or a family member by cancer. So we all know uh, that this is a great cause. So if you have a few extra bucks, head over to ChrisDemakesADifference.com and give what you can give like you guys always do. Yeah, we'd appreciate it. Cancer is just, uh, it's just so prevalent. And this is, uh, I don't know, this is our second or third uh, uh, cancer fundraiser now that we've that we've done, Chris, because it just, it affects everybody. So again, please, if you could head over to KristaMakesADifference.com uh, and, and help us out, that'd be, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, if you haven't already, give me a follow over on Instagram at less than Chris D. I'd appreciate the follows. I'm still trying to surpass my bass player, Roger Lima and less than Jake. Uh, it's a friendly rivalry. He's about 6,000 fans ahead of me. I, I just, I don't know. My ego's bruised, Chris. It's like, I think he's just better looking. I, I don't know. He, he has, he has the dreads. <laughs> I think it's the, do I, I need a dread wig? Dreads. Yeah, I think you got. I think you need dreads, and you'll pass him up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not keeping tabs or anything. He's only six thousand five hundred and forty-three ahead of me. About to. Anyway. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you haven't already, please check out our Facebook group. It's a lot of fun. The Krista makes a podcast Facebook group. We, uh, gosh, I think we're over three thousand members now, Chris, and growing. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful community. It's free to join, and uh, you know. I'd like to give a, a shout out to a couple of uh, people in the group, Mr. Mark Leibowitz and Mr. Bobby Poole. Thank you for being members and thank you for supporting Chris to Makes a Podcast. Chris and I appreciate it. I'm in that group every day. I love having conversations with people. I don't care what it is. I'll post my hot take on my favorite Lagwagon album or whatever it is I want to talk about. I know that I'll spark a good conversation in there because I got a lot of people with a lot of opinions, but it's always in good fun, man. So, you know, if you have Facebook, join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group because, I don't know, as far as I'm concerned, that's the most fun place to be. 
on no, that entire is. website. And, and and the interaction in there is incredible. And I, I honestly, I thank each and every one of you that uh, that are members of the group. It, it, it is a lot of fun. And uh, speaking of a lot of fun, Chris, I have a brand new single out that we're going to play the song as we wrap oh, up yeah. wrap up the show today. The song's called Father Time. It's from uh, the latest 7-inch uh, released uh, in conjunction with my book, Blast from the Past. Yeah, came out on Smart Punk Records. And yeah, it's in support of the book. If you haven't picked up the book yet, you're insane. You're absolutely insane if you did not get a copy of Blast from the Past yet. Uh, and you could get yours at chrisdemakesabook.com. Yes, we have every Chris Demakes uh, <laughs> website that, that you could possibly have. Um, we cornered the market uh, on those domains. Dude, I bought them all already. I, t- I bought ones I didn't even tell you about. I got chrisdemakesahouse.com, <laughs> chrisdemakesachicken.com, just whatever. You know, chrisdemakesadinner. Chris it doesn't Chris matter. We got them all. Chrisdemakesalama. You got everything. Yeah. We got chrisdemakesabook.com, though. That's where you could pick up your own copy of the 7-inch that features the song we're going to play. What well, we're going to leave everyone with, uh, Father Time today. That's right. And uh, before we uh, play the track for you on the way out of this episode, I want to thank this week's guest, Butch Walker, for sitting in with us and talking about the marvelous three-track Freak of the Week. What a great song. So uh, until then, we'll see you next week, and here's Father Time.
Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.